electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, everybody, live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square. This is Fast Money, and here's what's on tap tonight. A semi-slump, shares of AMD dropping after its latest earnings report drops as revenue guidance falls short of expectations. We're dialed into the conference call and bringing you all the details from the quarter. Plus, a catastrophe. Shares of the farm equipment maker posting their worst day in 18 months despite a massive earnings beat. What's going on? The hidden warning signs that sent the company's stock plunging. We'll explore that and later. An EV meltdown? That's the stark warning from one top analyst. So what happens to the sector if demand dries up? And will it all leave Tesla in the dust? Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ. And on the desk tonight, Tim Seymour. Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Meantime, stocks eking out a gain today, but major indexes all wrapping up October with a third straight month of losses. The Dow down more than a percent this month. The uh, S&P shedding more than 2%. Both indexes posting their longest losing streaks since early 2020. And we'll get much more on that later in the program. But first, AMD earnings. Shares of this chipmaker dropping despite beats on the top and bottom lines. Uh, Q4 revenue guidance, though, coming in below expectations. The conference call just started. And our Christina Parts and Evelis has the details. Hi, Christina. Well, hi, Tyler. Much like we've seen with other chip makers this earnings season, chip stocks really seem to be reacting to future guidance. And AMD's Q4 guidance, like you mentioned, disappointed. AMD beat earnings revenue estimates for Q3, but guided Q4 revenues of $6.1 billion, which is less than the $6.37 billion that was estimated. Management does expect to see strong growth in data centers as well as client segments for the December quarter, which we're in right now, but warned of lower sales in gaming and softening demand in embedded markets. Markets, which also includes its silence business. Both Lattice and Intel very recently also warned of weakness within the embedded market as well. And if we were to break down the categories for Q3, AMD did miss slightly in data center as well as embedded, but they had a record quarter for server processor sales. So that falls in the data center category. They also beat in client as the PC recovery is underway and gaming came in in line. Uh, my contact just now told me that Lisa's CEO, Lisa Sue, will provide incremental detail on the ramp of the MI300 chip. That's the AI chip. And we should expect increased uh, expected revenue for that particular chip on the earnings call that is now underway. So that could help reverse some of the uh, 4% loss that's going on. Hey, Christine, it's Tim. Quickly, any sense of MI300X and this chip that's supposed to be you know, they're, they're anti into the ring to really be competing with NVIDIA. They had guided they're going to start to see some sales in 4Q. The 4Q guide, by the way, obviously light, as you're pointing out. So any sense on this? Can this turn the stock around? Yeah, that's that's just literally what I was talking about. The MI300 is what they're going to start with on the call, and they're going to talk about uh, revenues for that particular chip. And we should expect that revenue number to actually be a little bit higher, which is a positive sign for the stock. Does that mean it's going to be stealing share away from NVIDIA? It's a little bit too early to say, but the fact that they're going to come out on this call and be bullish 
ahead of the December launch is a good sign because uh, originally I thought they would hold off and, you know, not say too much about this AI chip because they really want to go out with a bang in December. But if uh, Lisa Sue's going on the call and already talking about it, that could mean some strength for this particular AI chip. All right. Uh, which has Christina. begun production already, by the way. Okay, fantastic. Christina, thanks very much. Let's uh, trade this one. Beginning with you, Guy, what do you think? Well, we ran on the horn. First of all, Tower, obviously, always great to have you. We and happy Halloween. Halloween. And it's and Halloween. Halloween. Let's, let's uh, do this. Halloween. It's spooky. It's spooky as you know what. New York on Halloween. What? what, what spooky as you, you know what. Is your tie. Spooky well, as your tie. I'm glad you mentioned it. This is this. Spooky ducks. Scary ducks. Scary duck ducks tie. Ducks on the pond. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Could have gone with an orange tie like I did. Nondescript. I mean, we're into the show. AMD, how do you trade it? It's fascinating. Last May, this past May, the stock closed at 90 bucks. They reported earnings. It cratered. They mentioned AI. A month later, the stock was trading $125, $130. We have round-tripped that move pretty much back to 90 bucks. I don't think now's the time to be selling AMD, though. The guide is disappointing, yes. And margins came in a little bit slightly less than expected. 22%, I think, a year ago was 227 but this is one of those stocks that when it looks the worst is when you have to start layering in, as opposed to when it looked great in the middle of the summer when everybody was piling in. That's, you got to sort of zig when people zag in the stock. And now's the time to buy it, not sell it. Karen, thoughts? I agree. I agree. Um, I, I actually have a small position in AMD. I think uh, I wouldn't be selling it on this. I don't know if, if I, I really want to hear the call. I'll hear that later. But because I think we'll get a lot, some, some nuance, right? If I were if I were CEO of a company in this space right now, I would be a little bit, uh, I don't know, conservative mm-hmm. in my guidance. Why not? Right? Turns out great. Good. Um, so I really want to hear what she has to say. I think um, it wasn't, wasn't shocking. Wasn't, I don't think this is a giant quarter that tells the story of AMD going yeah. forward. Well, here's the deal. I mean, we were talking about what they're going to say in the call about this new graphics chip. I mean, at the end of the day, they gave their guidance. It's down, you know, 4.5% from consensus. Stock's down 4.5%. That, and, you know, that's the way it used to work on Wall Street a little bit. And if you think about what's embedded in Q4, they can say whatever they want about this chip. If they're going to be competing with NVIDIA, they're going to be competing on price, okay? Like, that's just the, that's how they're going to gain share back. They're so delayed. So, to me, I don't think this is going to be a huge ramp because it's going to be a chip that's, you know, all the reviews, it's not going to be what these H100 is by NVIDIA, and if they're going to get that share back, it's going to be on price. So uh, at the end of the day, they might be being like a bit conservative, but at the end of the day, like they're they're behind the eight ball here. You know, you know what I'm saying? So um, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't bode well for NVIDIA either, to be frank. Well, and, yeah, and, are they going to, yeah, are they going to compete here? Or well, no? part of the disappointment on the 4Q is not just demand, it's on margin. And and again, if they're competing, it's a question of how much they're going to have to compete. I also think that there is some hangover, even from some of the programmable chips and some of the things that, that that even Intel, I know you should not be comparing AMD to Intel, but at least, you know, in terms of some of those core segments, you know, what is going on with CapEx and CapEx spend? And we heard a little bit from Meta. We've heard it from other people. I mean, that's going to be important to the tone here for the for the broader sector. And so uh, I agree with those that have said AMD is not the one you, you want to count out. In fact, I think weakness is to be bought. I don't know that weakness needs to be bought tomorrow. And, and I think there's a lot going on right now in terms of the cyclicality and what we've priced in. And we're going to hear a lot more about uh, this great chip. We've got Christina with a little bit more uh, color and detail off the conference call. Christina? Yeah, that's because I actually have the transcription of what she's going to say, so maybe I'm just front-running it right now. But it was in my email, so I could go with it. Uh, she's going to say that we now expect data center GPU revenue to be approximately $400 million in the fourth quarter and exceed $2 billion in 2024 as revenue ramps. The line that stands out is, quote, this growth would make the MI300 the fastest product to ramp to $1 billion in sales in AMD history. 
that's all they provided for the numbers, but pretty strong statement. But that's a, but that's a, a strong endorsement of that product. That's fast growth. Right? Well, and, and, and again, part of what we've already heard from the company is you should be expecting um, some material amount of sales in the fourth quarter. And that's why at least the early so far has been some disappointment that it wasn't more impressive. Let's let's we're going to wait and hear. Well, I'd also add that the article in the Wall Street Journal today about NVIDIA having five billions of orders from China for these you know, competitive chips. If they are not able to go through, then what might we have like an inventory situation? Is there enough demand? Well, they're stuck with those Well, chips. I'm just saying that in general, they're going to have to sell them in the West. It depends if you think their supply, supply demand dynamic is right now in. China has been such a huge driver of all this demand this year. I mean, like the double and triple ordering. And this might be demand that maybe the Chinese like didn't even need. You know what I mean? This is orders for next year. They're talking about five billion, and so these new guidelines are putting you know tighter curbs on it. We know that these guys did some workarounds. This is Nvidia, and like I, listen, this is just setting up for this sort of thing. There's also an article in the Wall Street Journal today, in the CIO Journal, how companies are enterprise buyers of tech are debating what is the commercialization of some of these products right now. They've all just just moved in so quickly and just been buying whatever it is, whether it's compute, whether it's cloud storage, whether it's chips. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. So who knows what's going to happen here? You know, like, and we know that today or tomorrow, I guess, you know, Microsoft's going to start selling this Copilot 365 and we might start get some indications here. But I think at the end of the day, if we know that some of these companies are already starting to cut costs as it, you know, headcount, they're going to probably start rationalizing spend a little bit, too, on some of this other stuff. The question is, are you buying AMD um, for AI and for this chip? Or are you buying them for some of the dynamics that have made them eat everybody else's lunch where they are competing? And, and, and so are you bummed out that they've talked about weakness in game? Gaming in 4Q. I mean, so th- these are the things you're sorting through on these numbers because I think th- there there are some headlines that aren't great for the cyclicality of some parts of their business that have been very important. Um, I, I don't think that's why people are, are owning it here, but again, that's why I think you have some time before you have to make this decision tomorrow. All right, let's advance the uh, conversation by bringing in Susquehanna International Group's Chris Rowland. He's a senior equity analyst at the firm. Chris, what do you think uh, of the results you've seen? And I note that you say there are headwinds facing this stock, and that is one of the reasons why you've cut your price target on it. Yeah, I, this was basically as in line as I could have imagined. Uh, there are some headwinds, as I suggested, but primarily in markets that are affecting everyone, like industrial and comms through their Xilinx business. Um, really, their server is at the first point now, very competitive with Intel. That is ramping, taking share. And as you guys have been talking about, the MI300 GPU is very exciting for the data center. And so why the price cut from 145 to 130? Explain that to me. Take that apart. Yeah, some of this is slower server than our our expectations for last year that were really quite robust. Uh, The second part is the Xilinx business that they bought. That business, according to Intel, who has a similar business, is losing about a third coming into next year. Chris, it's Karen. Thanks. Thanks for being on today. So how do you get to 130? What's What's the multiple or how do you think about that valuation? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Uh, we are now looking at EPS primarily uh, for next year. We're looking at about three fifty to four bucks. So we're looking at about twenty five times overall. 
Um, and really, this is going to be about growth. It's going to be about traction around MI300. Uh, and can that multiple go up from there if we do in indeed see better growth dynamics uh, around AI? Chris, since since they reported, I'll shift gears. NVIDIA, I mean, in the after hours, I saw a 516 print a couple months ago. Obviously, it traded sub 400 today. What do you make of this more now, the 20% move to the downside? And how does that set up into earnings? You know, if margins, they start to decelerate, this move might look like nothing in comparison. Yeah, it's amazing uh, the discounting mechanism that the market is. Uh, for NVIDIA, very specifically, we are still expecting beats for at least the next quarter. I would see a billion dollars uh, of beats coming for this next quarter. Uh, we're already, the buy side is talking about March or April for NVIDIA, what that will look like. Uh, and then is there indeed a correction sometime mid next year? If so, how deep? And that's really where the conversation is right now on the buy side. Dan, any thoughts here? Yeah, Chris, what do you make of the story out of the Wall Street Journal about um, NVIDIA and $5 billion worth of orders, you know, in China? Um, and, and what would that mean for, like, just basically um, just inventories in general for these chips and, and pricing? So NVIDIA was most likely shipping as much as they could to China before that uh, rumored ban uh, the actual institution of the ban was quicker than expected. So indeed, they may have been caught with some sales that did not get out the door in time. Um, but that said, some of that will be fungible and can be moved on to newer uh, players out there. And some of them might, some of those uh, products are China specific and, and may have to be eaten uh, or heavily discounted. Chris, thank you so much for your time tonight. Appreciate your you. uh, being with us, Chris Rowland sure. of uh, Susquehanna. Let's take a look, uh, shall we, at the AMD chart, which has just turned back. Uh, it has bounced off the lows. Can we show the, that chart in the after hours? Yes, we can. Of course we can. If I ask for it, because, we're going to yeah, see it. Yeah, what else can we ask for? Let's see what happens. And there it is. It's, all, it's snapped back there uh, roughly to where it was, I guess, at uh, the end of the uh, 4 p.m. session. So roughly right there after a dip. Well, and, and thought, let's tie it up. Well, yeah, the, right now the chart, the, the jury is to the is, is the challenge to the to, to the move down. I yeah. mean, in other words, the downtrend that's coming basically from those July highs when you had semis basically hit uh, their all time highs, certainly relative highs against the S&P, the entire sector's down. But that downtrend, um, you know, look, you're, you're making lower lowers in the after hours. So, you know, in terms of where we are, we're below the 200. There's some key levels that have been breached uh, on the chart. Really, you know, you're 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 you're, you're kind of looking at levels just below this 98, where I think there is some support. Uh, you know, but again, as Guy pointed out, if, if people start questioning some of these growth numbers, things could move quickly. Yeah. All right. Let's move from uh, from chips to uh, another kind of in business, and that would be real estate. Shares of Zillow plunging this afternoon after a Missouri jury found the National Association of Realtors guilty of conspiring to inflate broker commissions. The verdict could result in five point three billion dollars in damages and Diana Olick has the details. Hi, Di. Hey, Ty. Yeah, the National Association of Realtors, along with residential real estate brokerages, 
Keller Williams and Berkshire Hathaway's Home Services of America were slapped with $1.8 billion in damages after a federal jury found them guilty in a major antitrust lawsuit that could change the way homes are bought and sold. Remax and Anywhere had previously settled. Now, the damages could triple under antitrust rules. The suit claimed a conspiracy to keep broker commissions high by requiring a listing agent compensate a buyer's agent for listing on a property on the MLS, which is the biggest home listing service. Now, that means the seller has to pay both its agent and the buyer's agent. This was the first of two such lawsuits. Now, the realtors put out a statement saying NAR rules prioritize customers, adding that this matter is not close to being final as we will appeal the jury's verdict. They're also asking the court to reduce those damages. Now, analyst Jarrett Seberg wrote he worries this could be a drag on housing if buyers have to start paying commissions to their agents. That's because first-time buyers are already scraping by to get by in this, as you know, Tyler, extremely pricey housing market with high mortgage rates. All right, Diana, thank you very much. Karen, this is a stock you have owned or owned. Yes, I do own, sadly, Zillow. today. I do own, yes. I, I, what I like about it is the asset light model. And uh, so it's really a platform for brokers. Now, if brokers are being squeezed, they're going to be able to spend less money on the Zillow platform. So that's why it's down. I think things like the, the knee-jerk reaction is often uh, overdone. We'll see how this plays out. Uh, I think they actually report tomorrow. I don't know if it's tomorrow morning or tomorrow night. Um, so I'd love to hear their commentary on this, but I, I think this is far from over. Um, it's really more, we need to get a lot more residential sales. Uh, they, the rental business is hanging in nicely, but obviously today this, this question all of, of, this, of uh, who pays uh, whom in in real estate transactions has been lingering with us for decades. I yes, mean, and and who the the seller actually pays the commission, but then the the seller's agent pays the buyer's agent, who's really a seller's agent, effectively the same way. Oh, it does so. feel like every time you do a transaction in real estate, they're working for the other side. Yeah. Regardless of yeah. which side you're on, it always yeah. feels like unless you hire side, specifically a so-called buyer's agent who is working solely for you and you're paying that individual by the hour. Guys, this feels like it has. I mean, do you want to step in and buy Zillow here to Karen's point tomorrow after the bell? Brian Sullivan, he does that great show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he last put out call. A, I heard him. The last call. The last call. Yeah. That's right. Last call. Seven Long years. haul, Seven last PM. call. He had a great tweet out, though, talking about, you know, the National Association of Realtors have been beating back all these different arrows over the years. This one they haven't been able to do. And he wonders aloud, what does it mean for commissions in the space? Which, if you think about it, if the commissions get cut in half, what does that mean again to that sector of the economy? It's far-reaching ramifications, I think. Yeah, no, this is, this is a biggie. This is mm -hmm. a biggie. And they, as you said, or as he said, they have been able to deflect these arrows over the years very, very efficiently. But... But who knows? All right. Coming up, we're going to dig through more earnings results. It's that time of year, folks. Shares of Caesars on the move in the after hours. We'll go inside those numbers and ahead. And Caterpillar grinding lower after their results. More on the weak guidance that sent shares negative for the year. That's next. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money back in two. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Cat getting scratched after reporting, oh, oh, after reporting results <laughs> this morning. Uh, the company posting, I just read them, folks, uh, <laughs> posting a beat on the uh, top and bottom line, but issuing a weak sales outlook for the current quarter. Caterpillar, the worst performing Dow stock today, down nearly 7%. Imagine what the Dow would have done if you take out the cat. Uh, putting the name into negative territory for the year, that would be Caterpillar. Who would like to pick up here? Well, Tim? first of all, the, we, before we go there, we have to ask the question, obviously. When, again, when you hear... I'm in, ten, I'm in right, Tim's head. Right, right. Who sang Cat Scratch Fever? I mean, Cat Scratch Fever. Of course oh. it was the Motor City Madman, Ted Newton himself. Yeah. So Caterpillar, the, the, the reversal of the stock from uh, at least pre-market when they released these numbers and they beat, and they beat, they significantly beat. And, and the things that are really impressive about Caterpillar here are the free cash flow dynamics. So you've got $6.8 billion in free cash flow year-to-date versus two point eight a year ago. You have dynamics that look pretty strong going forward. They talked about an order book. Uh, it's the fourth quarter guide as you got into some of the margins. Um, it's not it's not a demanding valuation. It's certainly not demanding in hindsight. The question is, are they going to have the kind of cycle that they've had year over year? I think the comps look really tough for this company, at least over the next couple of years. But there was nothing in these numbers. The guide wasn't awful. Uh, I just it felt like a crowded trade where people needed a catalyst. Are we starting to see a little bit of a trendlet here of com- of guidance being the thing that's tripping and, and does that say that, that come spring, it's going to be a much rougher world? All the things mentioned about Tim mentioned about metrics are spot on. Backlog down $2.6 billion year over year and inventory build. So dealer inventories are completely unfavorable. And that does not fix itself over the course of a quarter, which is why people sold first and asked questions later. The question you have to ask yourself is, where do you get back into the stock? And it was a $205 stock in April. And I got to tell you something, that feels like where it wants to head, given, I think, the fact that inventory build happened as quickly as it did. I'll just say this. I mean, so if you're talking about inventories, you're talking about probably weak pricing power, right? And so, like, the guidance, the lack of visibility, this stock three months ago was making a new all-time high. It gapped up 9%, okay, in one day. It just kept on moving after it reported its Q2 and gave their Q3 guidance. It's showing you the volatility that we're seeing in the corporate visibility of these guys' business. It is, we're seeing this across a lot of industries. Is not good. That should be telling people something a little bit. And so we've gone to this period where people are selling first, asking questions later. And one of you guys said it's not a demanding valuation. It trades at 11 times earnings. Next year's earnings are expected to be up 100% from two years ago. So this is what you would say an unusual value. 
except that it's baby with the bathwater right now. And I just think that says a lot about the market that we're in right now. Highly cyclical. And think about the, the environment we came out of. I just think that these are going to be tough comps. And, and finally, the last question I'd ask to you, Tyler, is do you think Nugent's work with Damn Yankees actually exceeded his work as a solo artist? Uh, I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. no, you have to be more yeah. definitive. See, Mel would have handled that yeah. shit, but of course it was. You have yeah, to pretend yeah, yeah, like yeah. you even know. Yeah. By the way, where are you going now of that Damn Yankees? Oh, yeah. tremendous Very That was one of the first supergroups, actually, if you think well, about Well, it's Damn interesting Yankees. you say that. I mean, not really one of the original supergroups. Oh. I mean, you think about Paul Rogers, the firm with Jimmy Page, and those types oh, of yeah. things. Yeah, Sorry, you know, Tyler. Asia, yeah, no, I possibly Paul Asia was one of them, too, maybe. Back know. to you, Tyler. All right. Uh, <laughs> back to you. Uh, another earnings alert. Yum China shares dropping hard in the after hours. The company posting a revenues miss, saying it saw softening consumer demand in China. Any thoughts on Yum China? Well, if you, if you look at what's been going on in terms of quick serve and fast food trends overall here. It's really been a story of where margins are starting to, to run into some headwinds. It's been a it's been a very important time. In terms of Young China, um, this is, you know, again, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Pizza Hut, all those lovely things that you can do in China. This was supposed to be the high growth engine when they split this company off. And it actually has been an underperformer relative to uh, Yum that trades over here. So um, I, I think it's a test of the times right now. I think a lot of these quick serve names are running into margin pressures as well. You know, cue the same thing theme. Um, I, I don't think these numbers were awful. All righty. Coming up, we're going to hit Caesars results. Shares on the move after those numbers cross the wire. That casino trade is next. Plus, all eyes on Jay Powell as the Fed readies its latest rate decision. We'll tell you what to expect and how markets may react ahead. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. We are back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Okay, welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert now on Caesars. The stock higher after reporting a beat on the top and bottom lines. The conference call got underway at the top of the hour. Contessa Brewer has the details. Hey, Contessa. Tyler, I don't know what is going on with the shares. They are all over the place. This was an earnings report that is really straightforward. It's good. I mean, tough comps? Forget about it. In Las Vegas, which has been on fire... Caesar's occupancy up 3% over last year to 97% in the last quarter. Room rates higher. It saw record cash, hotel revenue, gaming revenue, and food and beverage revenue. Regionals, best quarter on record. CEO Tom Reeg says he is seeing stability in customer spending there. Caesar's investments in new properties and expanding properties. Clearly, it's having a positive impact in the regional portfolio. And in spite of the tough comps and the challenging cost environment, as we heard from Boyd Gaming last week, Caesars regional casinos are fending off the competition and the macro headwinds. Digital, a surprise profit. The street was expecting a loss of a million dollars. Plus, they're making real strides in iGaming. That's the casino games you play online. 
Reek says they have set aside money for back pay on a new contract with the Culinary Union. And he said just now on the call, when it's finalized, it will be, quote, the largest increase our employees have seen in the four decades since we've been interacting with the Culinary Union. He says employees should be participating in the success of the company. Leading up to F1 in Vegas in a couple weeks, CEO Tom Reek says they expect to add about 5% to fourth quarter profits just from that event alone. He calls it extraordinary, says that he is seeing a big influx in international visitors, not only for F1, but then ahead of the Super Bowl in February. So there's a lot to like here, guys. Caesars, Contessa, Caesars would profit from that just because of extra volume. It's not because they have a particular no. tie-in to the uh, to they, the F1 race. They, they, they're sponsors for the oh. race. They've got a lot of um, exposure because the race is going to go through all of those Caesars properties. Remember, Caesars and MGM, the two biggest companies on the Las Vegas Strip with a lot of properties. But Tyler, get this, on the call he said... What they're getting is, they, they call it uh, c- b- b- credit play, right? These are guys that come in and they play on credit meeting. They are mm. high rollers. Mm-hmm. And at that mm-hmm. level, they're just being overwhelmed. So they've got a lot of big spenders coming in. And internationally, there's a lot of interest in F1. So if you've got people flying in for the race internationally, which is helping international recover post-pandemic, those guys are going to be spending more. Guy, you, you, you're a credit kind of guy at the casino, no, right? No, are you no. kidding me? Yeah. Like, remember the other day you talked about the Ferrari you were buying with cash? Yeah, that's right. Show up right. with a suitcase there. You go to the craps table and you spend 12 hours. But this quarter, to Contessa's point, it's good. It should be north of 41 bucks. They reduced debt by $600 million year to date, and their net income was $74 million, was $53 million the same quarter last year. They're running their business more efficiently. Their leverage rates are down. I think you can own the stock. Tim? Well, if you look at the breakdown of the, the, the four main casino names, you, you have the domestics, so you have Caesars, MGM, and then you have uh, those with the, the exposure in Macau and Singapore, um, Las Vegas Sands, and, 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 and when, and you have a dynamic here, right? Look, I, I prefer the ones exposed to Macau because I think they're trading below mid-cycle EV EBITDA, and I think, there's, uh, I, I think there's just a lot of demand that's slowly coming back in Macau, and I think these names will move. I think the market is leaning towards the domestic plays, and you can see that. And even though Caesars has had a pullback here, um, I think, you know, you look at the bottom of that range here on this chart, and it, it, it does favor the U.S. setup. Doing nicely after hours there at 41.85. All right, let's take a quick break. Coming up, the Powell preview, what to expect out of tomorrow's Fed decision and whether the central bank will give an all-clear signal over the fight against inflation. Peter Bookvar of Bleakly Financial says don't hold your breath on that. That could be years away. He'll explain when Fast Money returns. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. A losing month for stocks. The tech-heavy Nasdaq dropping almost 3% in October. The S&P 500 down 2%, seeing its first three months long losing streak since 2020. The Dow off 1%. Pfizer spending most of the day in negative territory after reporting a third quarter loss. The drug maker recording charges tied to sluggish demand for its COVID antiviral treatment Paxlovid and its vaccine. 
Pfizer closing just above the flat line. Meanwhile, after hours, Paycom Software plunging uh, the human resources and payroll company, missing third quarter estimates, giving a fourth quarter revenue guide that is well below expectations. Losses hold. It would be the stock's worst drop on record. That's a 29 percent decline. And some other after hours movers. First, Solar Hire after reporting a top line beat. But revenues came in below street estimates. But Tinder parent match group seeing uh, earnings and uh, revenue beat the street, but management expecting profits to fall because of a weakening economy. Well, even if the Fed signals no more rate hikes tomorrow, our next guest warns the all clear seg- signal is years away. Peter Bookvar is the chief investment officer at Bleakley Financial Group. He's also a CNBC contributor. So let me understand you. Welcome, first of all. But let me understand correctly. You wouldn't be surprised if if the Fed is done for this cycle. You would be surprised if they say anything like we're done. Well, they're done with respect to the Fed funds rate. They're certainly not done with respect to their balance sheet. And that's the continuous form of tightening that will continue on. So Jay Powell may just sit back and do nothing tomorrow. It's probably going to be a really boring statement. It's going to be a very boring press conference. Great. I'm glad but, I'm going to Washington for this. Then. Yeah. You really teed it up well, beautifully for Behind me. the scenes, though, yeah. QT continues on. Uh, and, and I think that that is it is taking over from the rate hikes in terms of tightening financial conditions. We so, started, so that's the that's the key part of the monetary policy that is sort of going away. Baton. It's going to be more of a focus. So the balance sheet has shrunk about a trillion dollars. The question is, is how much more do they want it to shrink? Powell has said, well, we'll know it when we see it, which is their way of saying we don't really know. But it's still going on. And it's not just the Fed that's doing QT. It's global QT. ECB, the Bank of England, Bank of Canada, Reserve Bank of Australia. And while the Bank of Japan is not going that far, they're still in its own way tightening monetary policy. So what do you see as, you, as we pivot away from that, those technical issues to the, the question of what's going on in the bond market, the 10-year hitting 5%, where do you see, and it's eased back off just a little bit, where do you see it finishing the year and where do you see it performing next year? I think for the next couple of months, we've probably seen the top in the 10-year for now. I think we've, we're going to get a little respite here. Maybe the 10-year trades down to four and a half, four and three quarters. But next year, I still think the upward pressure reasserts itself. And I think it still surprises the us. The pressure the comes upside. from where? It's going to come from not your conventional sources. It's not going to come from the economy accelerating. It's not going to come from revisiting a 9% inflation rate. It's going to come from the Bank of Japan getting out of negative interest rates. It's going to come from continuous QT. It's going to come from still rising debts and deficits. A combination of not so good things. Supply. That's rising debts. And when you say that, Karen? Yeah. So I see uh, some of your notes. If we get to 6%, then the Fed would do QE. Is QE the lack of QT or is QE QE? So the sequence will be stop QT. And then if they run into a Bank of England situation where you get this unruly rise in long rates, then the Fed will feel the need to temper that. We, we hope we don't get to those situations where the, they lose control of the long end. Uh, but it's something that you, know, you have to use your imagination when you're in this global rise in interest rates of what actually could happen uh, as this global monetary tightening uh, continues on. 
I'm reading your notes here that say the housing market is upside down, Peter. So and that you say that it really there's there's no relief, um, certainly for new new buyers out there. They're broken. Um, I, I am of the view that housing prices have a ways to go lower. Um, and I realize, you know, people say there's a supply dynamic that's going to support them. But if there's no velocity in sales and frankly, I, at eight percent, you're buying a lot less house is the reality. I think and we heard it from the builders in some of their earnings calls. I think eight percent. Is, has been the inflection point, where they're finally seeing, you know what, we've had a good year so far, and we're selling homes to people that can't find an existing home. But 8%, people are pushing their limits. And I think some of the builders talked about that. I think that the, the real catalyst to get a decline in home prices is also not for good reason. If people start to lose their jobs and they need to downsize into an apartment, for example, that could be a catalyst to bring on more supply. But we need more supply desperately, especially for that first-time home buyer. That's in a really difficult situation. I want to squeeze in one more quick question, and that is your view of the economy. I, I, at the back of your note here, you, you talk or you, you report from a lot of different industries, chemicals, manufacturing, transportation equipment, metals manufacturing, paper, and so on and so forth. And it is almost unanimous, those executives or people you're talking to, say business is slowing. It seems that the, the only future right- is not... So yeah, bright. manufacturing is, is, has been in a recession for more than a year now. Uh, the Dallas manufacturing number, which came out yesterday, I think it's been in contraction for 14 straight months. So that, that's, that, those sectors you talked about fall under that umbrella. Really, the strong part of the economy is spending, higher on spending on leisure and tra- transportation, uh, travel and restaurants and so on, where middle to lower income spending is definitely muted. Business investment in Q3 GDP was basically flat. And then you had government spending that also helped was a uh, help uh, to GDP as well. All right, uh, Peter. Thanks, uh, Dan. Let's trade this, which is another way of saying let's talk about Peter's if he wasn't here, mm. <laughs> right? I, I have the benefit. I talked to Peter a bunch, and you know, there's very few people who do the sort of work that he does on a macro level, but also looks. And you asked him about you know earnings season. He he reads and uh, listens to a lot of conference calls, and he picks out a lot of stuff that he puts in his book report. Um, that I think you know you piece it together, and the mosaic is not particularly great right now. I know Karen's looking at me like ah, I listen to a lot too, um, and you know it depends sometimes. I think what lens you're looking through, um, you know, listen, I, I think the consumer like feels like it's, it's right about to be in an inflection point a little bit. And if we do see that unemployment rate tick up above 4%, some of these dynamics that he's talking about could start to kick in a little bit. And again, I go back to what the stock market is telling me. I look at all these different industries. I look at transports. I look at cyclicals. I look at industrials. I look at financial. I mean, they all trade horribly. So if that's, I'm not an economist, but I've been staring at the stock market for 27 years straight, and they're all telling me like something else is going on outside my purview a little bit. Quick closure. Quick Just, you know, okay, I, I can, all of that makes sense. We could see the consumer slowing. If the Fed says we're done and maybe even at some point turns, that's sort of a very different dynamic for the market. But you know, you well, I don't think it is. That. I think that, again, this is, you and I had this conversation, I think, last week. I mean, the last few times that I remember where the Fed was on a rate hiking cycle and then they had to turn, and I go back to 2000 and I go and back I go to back 2007. To I know, but you go back to that one time. And it wasn't I, like, one time. We'll no, have to do it. No, but it really was that one time in no, the last no. 30 years. It, it really was when we've had meaningfully rate hiking cycles, okay? And so right. when I go back to 18, Okay, so 18, uh, we go back to 07, and we go back to 2000. And so, fine, you can have 95. 
All right. Well, 18 was a really short rate hiking cycle. Well, but we yeah. dropped 20% in a straight line as soon as we there sure were growth did. fears. As soon as there were growth fears. And what did the Fed do? They had to pivot. And they, I don't they think they can do that right now with inflation. Well, they kind of got the guy's been telling us what for how, what's inflation been for the last year. Pesky and persistent. Yeah. All right. While we continue to talk here, we're going to take a little break. <laughs> Apple earnings are on deck. Are options traders ready to take a bite of the big tech giant? We will have that one next. And is the EV boom starting to run on empty? We'll hear why an industry, uh, the industry, I should say, may have a new problem on its hands as inventory balloons. Fast Money is back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We have a big slate of earnings still to come this week. There you can see several of them. Apple leading the action. The tech titan will report after the bell on Thursday and on this Halloween. Options traders are betting things could get even spookier. Mm. I knew that was coming. You knew that was coming. You had to figure. (laughs) Mike Coe joins us now with the action on Apple. Hi, Mike. Yeah, sure. The biggest S&P 500 constituent by weight at over 7%. And uh, right now we did see puts outpacing calls and the options market is implying a move of about 4%. The busiest put contract were the 165 puts. Those expire at the end of this week. Uh, We saw buyers trading about 15,500 of those for about $1.86 a contract. And buyers of those puts are obviously betting that the news could be disappointing and the downtrend that the stock has been in recently could continue through week's end. All right. Any reaction there on uh, Apple? Well, I, I just, you know, the, the chart certainly is not an exciting looking chart for the bulls. And, and it's just one of these stories in terms of both demand, some of the China dynamics. How is this getting away from me on the upside? I, I just don't see it. Either. I, I think they're going to be their usual cash machine. Um, but I think this is not going to get away from me on the upside. People talk about how bad it's performed. It's still up 12 percent for a year. But uh, it is but certainly their friends been, are doing so much better. Their friends are doing better. Way better. Friends, All of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Uh, coming up. Uh, dr- uh, thank you, Mike Coe, by the way. Uh, dropping demand. A new report saying there's a potential big drop in demand coming for EVs. What it all means for the sector next when Fast Money returns in two minutes. All righty, welcome back to Fast Money. The electric vehicle market might might be running out of battery, according to Deutsche Bank analysts saying that uh, concerns about an EV meltdown, not just a slow, a meltdown, are starting to take hold with automakers like Ford and GM scaling back ambitious targets for the group, cutting back capital spending in that sector. This is EV inventories balloon, up more than 500% in September from the year before, with the amount of time vehicles sitting on auto lots also trending upward and also being longer than the time spent on the lot for conventional cars. For more on the impact of the stalling EV market and whether it really is stalling, let's bring in Kevin Roberts, Director of Industry Insights and Analytics at CarGurus. Is the market for electric vehicles stalling, Kevin, when sales are up as much as you say they are? Yes and no. So uh, we're in a situation now where the data can basically tell you whatever story you're looking to tell. So EV sales are definitely up. However, not all EVs are selling at the same rate. So we're also seeing rising inventory levels out there, which is suggesting the market might not be uh, as willing to buy every EV that's being produced right now. So uh, the the inventories are going up in part because uh, I guess maybe some of the demand has come off, the froth in demand has come off, but also isn't it because the supply chain issues have been solved? Yeah, so we're seeing rising new inventory across the board for all powertrain options. We're also seeing more EV makes and models available, which is also increasing that. 
And we're also coming from a really low base of EV inventory in 2022. So all of that is really helping to increase <laughs> some of these percentage numbers that you're seeing. Hey, Kevin, um, help us make some sense of this. On uh, Tesla's call a couple weeks ago, um, you know, we, we know that there's all been these price decreases and it, Elon and crew seems to think there's this price elasticity that should exist. And these cars are much cheaper, yet obviously financing costs are much higher. But even if you look year over year um, with the price cuts, you know, they're not that much more expensive with rates, financing rates that much higher. What's going on with the, this whole idea that you lower prices a lot and they're still not increased demand as it relates to Tesla? I, I just don't think we're there to price parity completely with the internal combustion engines out there. Um, looking at average listing price data from CarGurus, uh, today, a month end, October, average listing price of a new EV was 28% higher than an internal combustion engine vehicle. So there still is some pricing premium out there. Uh, and I think that's really giving consumers pause uh, when looking towards EVs with some of the potential uh, issues regarding charging availability and range anxiety. When you when you look at, for example, the F-150 truck, the electric <laughs> version of that truck is eight or $10,000 more than the, the uh, internal combustion version of it, right? Yeah, so I was looking at the F-150 versus the F-150 Lightning today. So the F-150 internal combustion engine, average listing price around $60,000. F-150 Lightning average listing price, a little over $72,000. So if you put that into a month- uh, a serious you know, month difference. Home, Yes, yeah, serious difference. And if you put that into a you know a sixty month loan with a near eight percent interest rate, just that MSRP difference could lead to a two hundred fifty dollar increase in your monthly payment. And I think quick, that's really giving consumers pause. Quick in, question: in, uh, um, no. Among the EV uh, models that you see, which is which are the ones that are slowing that are selling the slowest, where the inventory build is greatest? They're sitting on the lots longest. You know, T Tesla doesn't have that problem because they really sell direct to com consumers. They don't have a lot of cars sitting on their lot. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, case study of uh, you know the retail sales model versus the direct to consumer model. Uh, there's definitely pros towards the retail model, and we'll see how that evolves into the marketplace. I, I think what the real kind of question now is, we saw automakers really moving quickly to get new EVs to marketplace, likely to parry Tesla's you know dominance in the market. Mm -hmm. um, but what we're seeing now is a lot of early adopters have likely adopted, and with that mm -hmm. pricing parity still not there, we're likely seeing some hesitancy towards kind of mass adoption at this rate. All right, Kevin, thanks very much. We appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Happy Halloween. Uh, happy Halloween. Yeah, no, that's good. That's great. All right, folks, we're going to move on, aren't we? We're going to take a little moment and come back for your final trades. All right, uh, Tim Spoon is talking. <laughs> it's time for our final trade. Heads we're up, we're coming back in about eleven seconds. Let's go around the horn. Tim, what was it there? What's your final trade? It, it must have been the uranium gods talking about CCG. Cameco blowout numbers. They talk about the fundamentals for the industry. You've had uranium price upgrades. We're at cycle peak. This stuff's going a lot higher. Karen. Yes, I'm staying short TLT one more day. We'll see tomorrow how they're going to fund this deficit. All right, Dan. All right, pay, uh, pay Stretch it out a little bit here. All right, yeah, time. Okay. Got time. Uh, that was, my phone that was Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir, 1980 yes, on their Today Show. And that was good really stuff. Nice. Uh, PayPal. I'd use a 50 stop to the downside if this thing rallies. God. Enjoy DC. You going out tonight? Or you I'm going, going tomorrow, tomorrow morning? Going tomorrow no, morning. Safe trip. Yeah. I mean, nice CNBC trip. is fortunate to have you 
We are fortunate to I have you. I am delighted to be with you every time. Be fortunate to own Caesars. CCR. <laughs> Beautiful Boom. segue. Yeah. All right, Caesars. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.